can't ignore the need. Countless souls among the peoples of the earth who do not know about Jesus. This is the heart of mission. Missionaries, cross-cultural specialists, pastors, they can all help us answer this season's big question. What small role can I play in God's big world? Thank you for joining us. Grab a cuppa and strap in as we demystify, decode and de-stress the great challenges of cross-cultural mission. Mark Peterson here, Director of CMS South Australia and the Northern Territory. Why should you listen to this episode? And who is Peter Rogers anyway? Well, maybe you're thinking through what to do with your life. You want to make it count for Christ and his kingdom. You're not trying to win his favour by doing this. You already have that through the gospel. But you know that he's gifted you and that the gospel needs to go cross-cultural and you're wondering if this could mean you. So you might count yourself as a mission enthusiast or maybe just the mission curious or perhaps you feel that something or someone is poking you to consider global mission and you're just putting your toe in the water to see what it's all about. If any of this rings true for you, Peter Rogers is probably going to be quite helpful. He's about to finish up as International Director of CMS Australia, which means that at the end of this year, 2022, he's going to walk out the door with a lifetime of mission thinking, practice and leadership. He knows the CMS mission ethos as well as anyone, and this is our chance to download from him while we can. And you may be surprised at some of the things he says, like how long the list of countries is that CMS would not send missionaries to. It might be a shorter list than you think. And what's changed in the way mission is happening in the world that might affect your decisions? I mean, who would have thought you could have an effective outreach to Japanese people by going to Indonesia? It's hard to plan that sort of thing, but diaspora mission is one of the ways the gospel is getting around the world. You're going to find out about pastoral visits and why they're important, new mission locations, managing the risks on location, what CMS is looking for in missionaries, and a whole bunch more. But you're going to have to listen right to the end to hear how many stories Peter has heard from people regretting that they have become missionaries. Let's meet him. Peter Rogers, it's great to have you on the Heart of Mission podcast. You're the current International Director of CMS Australia, but only until the end of this year, 2022. You're also a former CMS missionary yourself after a 10-year stint in Indonesia with your wife, Marcel, and three young kids back in the early 90s and into the early 2000s. Great to have you with us. Thanks for joining us. Oh, it's great to be here, Mark. So you were a missionary for 10 years, and I, I want to go back there in a minute. But first of all, this is a very significant time for you. You've been in this role as the international director here at CMS Australia for 10 years. What's been the most enjoyable part of your job? Yeah, 11 years, actually. Um, this role has just sent me all around the world. Uh, just what a wonderful privilege it is to have been visiting missionaries in all sorts of places, amazing places, and seeing what God is doing in those places. I think that's been the, the highlight for me is seeing God at work throughout the world and seeing it firsthand, meeting amazing people, amazing Christians in those parts of the world. It's just been an awesome journey for me. So often when you do go and visit, it's a pastoral visit and the, the missionaries, are they looking forward to seeing you when you come on a pastoral visit? 
I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what's a pastoral visit for? What, what's it all about? Yeah, well, one of our things is we, part of our pastoral care of our missionaries is we want to visit them on location and we want to stay with them in their homes. We want to, we want to stay with their families because we're concerned about the whole family, their children. We want to understand what their context looks like and we think we can care for them better if we really have had that first-hand experience on the ground with them on location. So we're, if they're there, we're willing to go and visit them there. We then get to visit their partners, uh, the people they work with, and we can explore new opportunities while we're there, which is also just a, a, a very important for us as CMS wants to continue to expand its work. Okay, so how would that work? Would you be connecting through the missionaries, the people that they know on location? You'd be, and obviously CMS has partner organisations in different locations. How do you go about finding out where you might send a new missionary to? Often the new missionaries, uh, inquirers come to us because they've got a heart for something and it may not even be something that we've thought about. But the first thing we ask when someone comes to us is, is God in this? And then we explore it. And that may mean that we go and visit a location where we have no missionaries to see whether this is something that God has in mind for us. But often we work through our existing networks. So that could be our missionaries, often our missionaries or our partners, and that may open up new areas for us. But we're often going into parts of the world, I could mention many, where we've never been. And actually we hadn't really thought about it, but God opened up doors and we just walked through those doors. So are there countries where CMS wouldn't go? I think the thing that would most drive us is, is, a, is around security. So we're, we're, pretty, we're pretty risk, we're, we're happy to take risks for the, for the sake of the Lord and for the sake of mission, but we're unlikely to go into a war zone. So right now, I don't think we'd be sending someone into Ukraine. And that might be true of some other parts of the world, which would be a little bit too dangerous for us. And I think the risk would be too great for our workers. But we are happy to go into places which I think most people would not be willing to go. But we would do it for the sake of, of mission. And sometimes these missionaries come to a conversation um, with a, someone like in my role and, they, uh, you know, they might be inquiring and they're actually keen to go somewhere like that's a hard place. I mean, how do we, how do we work with those hard place kind of people? I mean, it's, it's awesome, isn't it, to have people who are willing to take risks. I mean, where do you, what happens if they say, no, I really want to go somewhere and we just think, oh, not sure it's a safe thing for you. How, how do you have those conversations? I think if we genuinely believe that the place was, was too dangerous, we would just say, well, that's not a possibility for us. Um, but as I just said, we will go to places which I think the, most people would go, would you really go there? But we're willing to do that. But, but myself, I, I would have to be willing to go there and visit. So I've got to be open to this myself and taking those risks. And we want to explore all those risks and we want to have a very um, comprehensive risk management plan for our missionaries. So we don't just send them and hope for the best. We, we send them very clearly asking them to mitigate risks that they might face. Mm. How do they well. do that? Like, what's that The process? best thing people can do is really integrate into the local community, get to know the language, get to know people, be a blessing to people, and they will look after you there. It's when you stand back and you, you're you like a foreigner in a place that you're much more exposed. But our missionaries are generally so well received by the local people that the local people will take care of them. So we're not sending people over to go and, you know, run the show in different parts of the world, are we? Our whole missiology is quite different from that. And we have got some different episodes in the 
in the Heart of Mission podcast where we've looked at vulnerable mission. But what does that look like on location? I think one of the distinctives about CMS is we don't want to go and set up CMS things as if they run, as if we ignore the local church and set up something new. We want to work with with local Christians and we say as far as possible, which is in, true in most cases, we want to work under local authority. So we don't want to run the show. We want to go in humbly. We want to go in serving under the leadership of, a, of the local church and work work with them, but at their direction. Now, it could be that there are some parts of the world where the local church doesn't exist. Mm. A really pioneering context. Well, in that context, we might work alongside other, the few believers that exist, and there may not be a partner that we can partner with on the ground, but that is very rare. Most parts of the world, we would want to work under the leadership of the local church. I mean, that has benefits in terms of the longevity of the, the work that the workers do, doesn't it? And because if, they're, if they have to leave for family reasons or for any other reason, things aren't just left to fall in a heap, are they? The idea is to invest in what's happening in different parts of the world. So the investment's not just in the missionary that goes, it's in that, it's in that partnership we have with the local church. Yes. And that, that may continue even when the missionary's gone. So um, I know that a number of, we're looking at a number of new countries to send people to. Can you tell us about any of those new countries? Recently in the Middle East, we've had quite a lot of uh, workers in one particular country, but we've expanded that work. So we're looking into places like Turkey and Lebanon, where we haven't had workers before. So these are very much new areas for us. There's great opportunities in those countries for people. We're even going to Indian Ocean, looking at Madagascar, uh, Seychelles, we've got we've got a couple almost ready to get on the plane to go to Seychelles, and that's a whole new new one for us. So that's terrific. Um, yeah, they're just some of the new places for us. And there are also countries where I guess because missionaries they they do their time, their ten plus years or whatever it is, and then they move on. And and sometimes we aren't able to keep sending missionaries to that same location. And so we'd like to to be able to send missionaries to and continue to that to do that on in an ongoing basis. Are there countries where you'd really like to send missionaries that we have sent in the past and hoping to send again? Well, there are parts of the world, I think, where, where our missionary numbers have gone down and uh, that's some dis- great disappointment to me personally. Um, I think we're losing missionaries in Africa for some reason. Um, I can see that. But other, other countries have had turmoil and so missionaries have had to leave and we want to get missionaries back into those countries. So I'm thinking of countries like Myanmar, Afghanistan. Um, so it's good. We've got good news on those. But for a while, we had no one because of, of tensions and, and unrest in those countries. But there are simply other countries where missionaries have resigned and we haven't replaced them. So some of our countries in Europe, for instance, like we, we've had, we had missionaries in Slovenia and they were quite significant for many, many years but now uh, they've all gone, haven't been replaced by anyone, and so we've just got to leave that with the Lord at the moment. Mm. Now, I know people will groan when they hear the word COVID because we've been talking about COVID on and on for two and a half years, but I think a lot of people said, you know, surely mission really gets hit hard by COVID. People will stop going to be missionaries or lots and lots of people will resign. What's that look like for us and what do you see the, the future there? I think for most of our missionaries, it meant that they were in they were in lockdown, and that was very very difficult for them. 
particularly for new missionaries that didn't have any connections in the country and suddenly found themselves in a lockdown. That was a very lonely experience for them. Uh, having lockdown with their kids not able to go to school was a, was difficult. So let's say COVID was, as it was for us here in Australia, it was perhaps even more difficult for our missionaries overseas. They moved to ministry as we did. They moved to ministry online. And that's opened up new possibilities that they didn't know existed. So now a lot of mission is happening online. So there's a, our whole understanding of digital mission has, has been escalated because of COVID, I think. But some missionaries maybe came home because it was that, those lockdowns were too difficult. But it really, that was a marginal impact on our missionary numbers. Our missionary numbers have stayed pretty constant through the COVID years, two years and back on a good trend again. Now, you were a missionary yourself. What took you to the mission field? Like I think even growing up as a kid, I just, in my mind, being a Christian was about taking the gospel to the world. So I remember even who the missionary was that we supported at our church back in the 1960s. I had an interesting experience because I went and spoke at a, um, at a retirement village and they asked me the same question. So I said, I remember this missionary that back in the 1960s, her name was Kath Collett. And suddenly from the back of the room, she put her hand up and said, I'm here. <laughs> I thought, oh, my wow. goodness, that was 50 years ago. Kath, and you're, you're still, oh, I didn't quite say this, you're still alive. <laughs> but I said, I oh, thank you so much because I still remember you and, and that you were a missionary and it, even that had an impact on me. So I think I've always thought of, being a Christian inevitably meant that the gospel had to go out to the whole world and not just to those living near us. So that was always in my mind. My brother went out as a missionary before me, so he had he had some impact for me. And when I went to Moore College where I was trained, I actually went there initially because I thought I want to be a missionary. That was the first thing. Then I got waylaid and got ordained. <laughs> <laughs> ended up in pastoral ministry, yeah. but that was just a, a, a slight diversion for a while. Yeah. And so I, you ended up doing theological education yeah. in Indonesia. Tell us about how you made that choice and you know, what led you to that specific location and ministry. It's funny how God works, but for some reason, and I've got absolutely no idea, I hated French and German at school. <laughs> So I, I, I completely dropped them as soon as I could at the end of year 10 and then I chose to, to study Indonesian at high school for the HSC. So I don't know why I did that, but God, God had something in mind. And then I travelled there a couple of times. When I met my wife, Marcel, uh, she had also done exactly the same thing, studied Indonesian at school, been there a couple of times. So it was just for both of us, that was the country we were most familiar with. We felt comfortable there. Now, God could have easily been drawing us into mission with a plan to send us somewhere else, but we said, we know this context, we feel comfortable in this context, we've got a bit of language, so let's explore this one first to see whether this is where the Lord would have us go to Indonesia. And as it turned out, the door opened for us. Um, theological education was already the thing that I was keen to do, and so that door opened up for us in Indonesia. And so tell us about life in Indonesia. What was that like? Yeah, we look back on those 10 years with a lot of joy, actually. We, we loved our, our time in Indonesia. It's not to say it was always easy. 
I think language learning is a is a is a difficult thing. We should never imagine that language learning is easy. Thankfully, Indonesian is is an easier language than most. But for me, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe I'm not good at it. But it was hard to operate in another language. So I found that that was very tiring. I think at times there were often no uh, very few supports for us as a family, and I think we got to spend a lot of time together as a family. But also at times we were quite lonely. I think we, we were in a Muslim city and you we didn't have another expat, for instance, living within three kilometres of us. So that was our world. And at times we felt that loneliness and that would get to us a bit. Um, but uh, having said that, we, we came to love the country. Uh, so much about the culture and the lifestyle there we enjoyed. It was a much slower pace of life. But the opportunities it gave for mission were just extraordinary, not only amongst Indonesians but amongst other People groups. My my wife ended up having this wonderful ministry amongst Japanese, who were women who were there with their husbands in building a dam. So often our Japanese mission, missionaries would say, "You get more opportunity to evangelize Japanese here in Indonesia than we do in Japan." You know, doing Bible study with them and seeing them come to Christ. So there were opportunities all around, which we just embraced. I'm keen to hear how the Spirit was at work um, over the course of your time there. What did you see? God doing? Were there individuals? Were there? Um, I'm also keen to hear, you know, in terms of the teaching that you did in theological college. Love to love to hear a little bit more. So it's a big college, and there are, there are certain students that I had a particular ministry towards, and kept that going after college. So one in particular, I, I mean, I visited him just two weeks ago when I was in Indonesia, and he's still running a ministry to his own people groups. I mean, he was special because. He actually came from an unreached people group and he could speak the languages and knew the culture and now he's having a ministry to those people and we've been supporting him in that for the last 20 or 20, 30, 25 years. So that, that's been terrific to be able to work closely with some of the students as they graduated and go into ministry. Uh, that was exciting. Around us were a number of unreached people groups. Some of them, no Christians. And so to to hear stories and to meet new believers in some of those people groups, the first believers who then get exposed to immense persecution from amongst that people group, all sorts of black magic spells cast on them, et cetera. I mean, they're both harrowing, but they're also exciting because you can see God is actually doing something in those people groups and and growing his church where the, where the church didn't exist. So I think it was always exciting to see to see those sort of things happening in in very very dark contexts. And what do you think the needs are for Indonesia at present? I mean, it's a obviously a dominant um, Muslim country, and it's massive, and it's on our doorstep. Uh, what, what are the real ministry needs there? It is a massive country. It's the fourth most populated country in the world, and it's got the largest Muslim population in the world. Yet it does have quite a large Christian church probably 20, 30 million Christians, you know, at least nominally Christians. So it's, a, it's an unusual country in that regards. But you have to think about in Indonesia about people groups rather than the country. So it's how do we, how do we get into those people groups which are almost untouched with the gospel? And that needs to be our focus. So our focus when, we, when we're thinking about sending workers into Indonesia, we are thinking about sending them to work amongst um, 
predominantly Muslim people groups. Or can I say also uh, Hindu because we've just sent workers into Bali for the first time and that's a Hindu island. Same thing. Un, uh, these are these are hard to reach groups. So it's, it's it's thinking in Indonesia where are the hard to reach groups and let's go there so that we can have a presence, a Christian presence, and a Christian witness in amongst those people groups. Hmm. And I mean, your own story tells of how you can't necessarily predict how your access to those people groups is going to happen, but you put yourself in location, and the Lord did make some of those connections for you. Yeah. You also have an opportunity to be in a discipling ministry of with the Christians that are from those people groups. So that was my experience with the student that I spoke about, it was really my ministry of discipleship towards him as a, first as a student with me for five years through college and then post-college and then helping him with get his further education. Now he's got a PhD. So walking that journey with him so that he is the one that's actually doing the reaching of his people. I don't think I could because I couldn't go in there as an, as, a, as an Australian and expect that I'm going to get a hearing in amongst a, a closed Islamic people group, but he can because he's from that people group. So discipleship ministry is really important. So what sort of people are we looking for to go to a place like Indonesia? Obviously, you know, what you might say about Indonesia is also probably applicable mm. to any number of other places in the world, but... Because you, you're Peter, you have a very significant role in the in the um, the approval of missionaries. And what are you what are you looking for, particularly for Indonesia? You're probably right that what I'm looking for for Indonesia, I'm looking for for everywhere. <laughs> That's probably true. I think I need people that that have got resilience. They've got the ability to cope when things don't work out the way they think they might work out. So they're adaptable. They're flexible. They're not going to struggle if things are difficult. They're willing to take risks and meet people and get to know people and befriend people that are different than them. So an openness to, to other people and understanding their culture. But I think it is that personality of resilience and flexibility. Um, people need to have a very committed spiritual life if they're going to persist through difficulties. It's not easy. I'm not suggest it, it can be exciting, but it's it, it's a it's not the easy path, and people need to have good quality spiritual disciplines to help them stay the stay the path. Well, you were saying in your own situation there weren't other expat Christians around you um, in the near near to you anyway, and that kind of isolation is one of the big factors we're often thinking about, isn't it? Yeah. It is, and uh, that also goes to the strength of my marriage and my family. Those things need to be strong as well because sometimes that's all we had, <laughs> just each other. It wasn't always the case. I, that would be unfair to say that because the Lord brought people in. Uh, they may not have been there the whole time, but there were, there were people I could fellowship with and at, at various times and that were really vital to our, <laughs> to our ability to, to, to stay the course there. Now, the kind of work you were involved in through Theological College and also um, Marcel's work in discipling uh, people, uh, that's in some ways that the, the discipling is consistent right across missionary deployment, isn't it? But I'm trying to think about other skills, like what are some of the skills that, we're, that, that can be useful uh, for people um, and, you know, maybe beyond the Indonesia? Because, you know, there is a sort of a sense sometimes that 
you know, if you if you could teach in a missionary school or you could um, be a doctor or whatever. But but maybe there's maybe there's more. What are the different kind of skills we're looking for that would enable people to do that ministry on location? My wife's very multi-talented. Yeah. She's actually she's a school teacher, so she's got that skill. But actually, originally, before all of that, she was a hairdresser. Right. <laughs> so she's got a whole combination of different skills. She did come to CMS and say, how could you use a hairdresser? <laughs> Which I think they'd never got that question before. No. <laughs> but, you know, she obviously had lots of conversations, didn't she, as a hairdresser? Well, as a hairdresser, you do. Yeah. But she didn't. We can take taxi drivers too. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but I, I think we're more interested in the quality of the person than we are in that particular professional skill they have. I think we're open to all sorts of professional skills, but what about the quality of the person? That's that's the one that really matters to us. Is uh, we want to see people that are that if they're coming to us because they're interested in doing discipleship or evangelism or mission in some way. I, I think one of the first questions that I would ask is, well, what are you doing in your church right now? Mm. And if the answer is, well, I'm not doing very much, well, I think, well, why would you? Why are you? Do you think you're suddenly going to be able to do those things because you get the tag missionary? doesn't work like that. So we'd want to see people involved in all sorts of ministries in their local church. And ideally, I'd, I'd be encouraged to see people with a heart for cross-cultural work in their local church, mm-hmm. making an effort to, to befriend, you know, the, the, the student from China or, or whatever, you know, or the, or the refugee from somewhere. Have they got a heart for people from other cultures? I'd want to see those things in a person. And then we can de- help help them develop that skill. But those are the things that matter rather than, oh, I'm a doctor or I'm a, a vet or physiotherapist or something. Now, when you started your role as international director of CMS Australia, one of the things that you did say was around the whole question of justice, social justice and development and care kind of work. And in some ways you wanted to you wanted to say that, you know, more and more people are defining mission in those kind of categories, but we want to define it in terms of gospel ministry. But is there a a place for somebody who's got a a concern for development and a concern for justice issues through through CMS? So we are committed to holistic mission, but not particularly what we are saying is that a person that comes and says, my concern, all my concern is is to relieve poverty or increase education. So, well, what we are concerned about and what we think is most important is to witness for Christ and see people come to Christ. When people come to Christ, we would we would expect that justice, compassion, mercy would be part of their life in, in a holistic way. And so it should transform communities and societies. But it's going to come out of a genuine relationship with Jesus. So we want to see a world that knows Jesus. The fruit of that will be all the things that you're talking about, ministries of justice, etc. So if a person comes to us with a heart for justice, we want them to have a heart to see people come to Jesus. We want to see a world that knows Jesus. We'd still send them to do justice work, development work, but the idea is that it would be with the primary goal, as you say, being a gospel goal. Well, we do send people to do social work in that sense. Um, you've got people from your own branch doing that sort of work. And, of course, we would send people. We want them to be a witness for Christ in that context, not just 
relieving poverty, but we want them to be explaining that it's, a, it's out of a love of Christ and be sharing the gospel in that context as well. We want it to be holistic, but that does mean we want people to be to be a witness for Jesus and seeking to bring people to come to know Christ and then discipling them. And discipling them also means helping them to realise that they've got to love their neighbour. And loving their neighbour involves all those it includes justice, doesn't it? Mm. And it's also I mean, one of the things we've noticed in our branch is that often those kind of skills, like we talked to an engineer, um, a water engineer, just um, a couple of episodes ago on this podcast, who is able to witness through his own context through that. And uh, I actually just heard from him the other day to say that uh, he's just recently been relocated to a, to a different project and he's already started to connect with a bunch of dads and these are all Muslim dads and he's so in a sense he's got a visa platform to be able to get into a, a country like that where he can connect shoulder to shoulder with people from a completely different background. Yeah, he's a great example of exactly what we're saying. He's in a project which is going to provide, you know, if it provides clean water for communities, that's fantastic, but he's never stops being a witness for Christ in that context. Mm -hmm. When it comes to visas, it is true that in many countries we have to find visas for people and the visa may well come through a person's professional background. So they, the visa may be to be an engineer or to be a school teacher or to be a doctor or to be a physiotherapist. So it may require that level of professionalism in order to get a visa. What we don't ever want to say is that's a platform. A platform to me says... I'm only there as an engineer, but I'm not really interested in doing, being an engineer. What I'm really interested in is this. No, they're there to do that work because that work is important. So it, it needs to be holistic. He's there providing clean water for communities. That's fantastic. But he does it as a Christian and he's open about his faith and he's taking opportunities to share with Muslim people uh, stories about Jesus and introducing them to Christ. Mm. Okay, so this is a big moment for you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what's happening? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm interested to know what's, what your, how thick your passport is, actually. Because <laughs> you do get a lot of stamps in your passport, don't you? I loved my passport, but it expired. And I thought, what do I do with this passport now? <laughs> oh, yeah. So, I mean, but you... I do remember when I went, one time I went to England, and which is not a great, no, that's not an exciting thing in itself necessarily. That wasn't the point. But... When I, when I went to the customs man, he's looking for an empty page, which I knew was going to be about page 64 which, because I had the big, thick passport, and he's going from page one. So I thought, do I need to tell him why don't you just go straight to the back page? But he didn't do that. He, he thumbed through every single page in, the pre, in, my, in my passport. Till I could, you know, there's a lot of dubious countries in yeah. there. <laughs> Finally, he gets to page 64, and he looks up at me, and I thought, oh, boy, I'm in trouble here, and he said, you must be addicted to airline food. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Are, are, you, are you going to miss the travel? Uh, just, my wife and I were saying we're a little bit over it just at the moment. Oh, sure. I mean, it's very <laughs> A lot of long flights and waiting in airports. But give me a few months and I think the answer is yes. Yeah. I think I will miss. I will miss all of that. There will be a certain level of grief. <clears throat> Not about long flights and waiting in airports, but about not, not being able to see what I've, the sorts of things I've been seeing around the world. I'll, I will definitely miss that. Mm. What things have changed in mission 
and what have stayed the same during the time that you've been the international director? Yeah, well, we're, I mean, the heart of mission, which is we want to see a world that knows Jesus, that's not going to change. And I don't, can't see why that would ever change. That's what we want. How that happens, of course it changes because the world has changed. One of the things that in, in my time has been just the increase in, in, in what we might call the internationalisation of mission, the emergence of Indigenous mission movements from around the world or what you might call polycentric mission. So mission, you, mission comes from everywhere. So we see missionary movements arising out of places that once um, would have been what we might term a mission field, which is a term we t- tend not to use anymore. So just that whole emergence of Indigenous mission movements um, has been exciting, but it does make the whole world complex for us because we're trying to operate in that milieu now. People movements have been greater than ever before. So people are moving around the world. It can be forced migration or economic migration, uh, but people live all, all around the world. So if you want to reach a people group, you don't have to actually go to their homeland, place of origin. You can, you can find people in a diaspora context. So diaspora mission, reaching unreached people groups in places where we can reach them has increased. Those opportunities have definitely increased over the last 10 years. One of the challenges for us, I think for CMS, is we've tended, we have only in the past sent Australians overseas. So in that sense, we send people all around the world, but we're not an international agency. But I think we need to, to be challenging that. And our co-mission partner program, where now we can send people that are not Australians, they may be from another country, we, we may have met them here, they're returning to their country, or we may have met them overseas, is a way that we're going to open ourselves up a bit more than the way we have historically been. Hmm. And do you think, I know you're not going to tell the new international director um, how he should do his job, but what, 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 do you, what do you think of the things that CMS needs to be really thinking about and doing into the future? Yeah, well, I think, as I mentioned, I think that co-mission partner program should extend and I think it's, it's, it's exciting. You know, I mentioned that there are parts of the world where our mission numbers have gone down, but we've got co-mission partners, local people that we now support in mission in those countries. So we're still there even though we haven't been able to find an Australian to go. So I think that that to me is something that we need to keep developing there are so many gospel poor people groups out there, which that's the language we use, um, that that remain untouched and unengaged. And so we don't want to lose sight of that. So I think we keep we need to keep thinking outwards, which I'm sure he will do. I'm confident of that. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, as we as we start to just wrap up, I'm very keen to hear what you have to say about Marcel and her involvement in your ministry along the way. You know, she's been alongside you. What are you, what are you proud of her um, for and in, in, in what ways do you admire her? She has a heart for evangelism. I see it now. I mean, just at church, she's, she's the first one to walk up to the new person and uh, particularly if that person is from another country, she's, all, she's there straight away. Uh, I think she she does. She has a wonderful ministry right now in ESL. She she loves ESL, which is really her mission heart. Teaching the Bible 
to people from overseas living here in Australia. So she was doing that here. And then when COVID came, a lot of those people went home. She continued to teach the Bible to these women from other parts of the, of, of the world, but they were now tuning in at three in the morning from Brazil or from Japan. And she had this all these people around the world doing it. So, <laughs> so I just think she's, she's amazing at that. Just, that's her heart. She started up a project um, to reach village women when we were in Indonesia. It was just a simple cross-stitch card-making project that, that grew and developed. We started that. She started that in 99, still doing it today. So even though when I walked into the bedroom, <laughs> I couldn't find any place to, to walk around <laughs> because the whole thing was covered in, in cards that she's now still, still working, selling uh, to support ministries back in Indonesia. So, yeah, she never really stops. Now, so she's not going to be putting her feet up. Are you going to be putting your feet up? Oh, yeah, I'm just going to let her do it. Where's the local golf course? (laughs) Peter, what is next for you? Oh, that's a good question. And, um, you know, I'd love to think that somehow mission is part of it. I think one of the sad things about leaving a role like mine is I've got, I've developed a, a lot of knowledge of things around the world. And, you know, when I, when I leave this job, what happens with all of that? So I leave that in the Lord's hands. I don't know. But I would love to think mission could be involved in it. Most likely, I think, will be ministry within church. So I'll probably have a few weeks holiday and that's it. That'll be <laughs> enough for me. <laughs> I'll be bored by the end of January. I'll <laughs> and by the beginning of February, I'll be, I'll be wanting to, at least if, if nothing else, I want to be involved in, in ministry in church, preaching, teaching, evangelism, those sort of things again, planting congregations or church planting, all of that. Um, Yeah, I'm not going to put my feet up for very long. No, I'm sure Mm. you aren't. Mm. Just finally, um, the person who's thinking about mission, what what, what would you like to say to them? I I don't know any missionaries really that have come back with regrets. So I... I know many that have come back and said, that was tough. That was really tough. But I don't hear them coming back and saying, I wish I'd never done it. (laughs) So it is tough, but that's okay. I mean, you know, the Lord's called us to ministry. He didn't call us to put our feet up. So it should be an option for people. So don't discount it. Follow it up and see if if this is of the Lord. It's not for everyone. I'm not suggesting that every person, every Christian could be a good missionary because some people are just going to not have the right sort of personalities for that. But if you're thinking about it, maybe the Lord's put it on your heart. So explore it. Maybe explore it by making sure you're connecting with missionaries. Get to know them, read their newsletters, listen to them talking, read things about mission. Uh, Just become as familiar as you can. Go to summer conferences, uh, listen to podcasts, <laughs> do what you can, keep educating yourself and praying about it, asking people their advice and just see whether the Lord takes you down this path. Mm. Peter Rogers, we're going to miss you around the CMS traps and I know they're going to miss you around the uh, all of our missionaries around the world as well. Thank you yeah. for all the work you've been doing for CMS and thank you for being on the Heart of Mission podcast. That's been my pleasure. Thanks, Mark. So would you like to follow this up? Everyone has their own specific story and questions about what mission could look like. 
It might be that you'd like to spend the next 10 years being an advocate for a particular missionary, either in your own church or more widely, but perhaps you'd like to inquire about becoming a cross-cultural worker yourself. There's likely someone you know who could find this interview with Peter Rogers very helpful. Perhaps look for that share button and give it a go. And get in touch with your local branch if you would like to have a chat. The Heart of Mission podcast is taking a break over the summer, but of course there will be plenty of mission goodness happening at our summer conferences throughout Australia in January. Check your local branch for information. We're really excited about season three, hoping we'll have a series of episodes ready to drop fortnightly from the beginning of March next year. CMS works with churches to set apart godly people as long-term cross-cultural gospel workers for a world that knows Jesus. See you next time.